You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. It's no reason to become alarmed, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your flight. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? Hey, everybody. Welcome to Avoiding Real Estate Turbulence Podcast. This is your pilot, John Lafferty, with Century 21 Town and Country. And co-pilot, Tony Abate with Ross Mortgage. And we are your real estate pilots. Our job is to be your real estate advocate and also make sure you're educated about the buying and selling process. We'll keep you informed throughout until we get you safely closed. In a real estate transaction, there are many reasons why you can encounter turbulence. Today, we are going to talk about flood insurance and changing weather patterns and why maybe even if your home isn't in the high-risk floodplain areas, you should give flood insurance another look. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's a it's a topic that seems to happen with folks even when it's not in an area that's expected. So we all kind of think about uh, flood insurance when we're thinking lakefront properties or properties that are adjacent to rivers. But uh, you know, as you know, John, it's it's more than that. It can be just topographical differences. I mean, you know, locally here. Uh, you know, there's there's a chunk of the city of Troy that requires flood insurance. There's no all sports lakes in Troy, but it has mm-hmm. to do with the with the topography of surrounding areas. And so, flood insurance it, it's it, it's not just uh, what we always think it is. Yeah, and and things are changing, right? Mm-hmm. Weather patterns are changing. Rivers are flooding. Um, so. It, you know, even if we if we just back up to 2014 when we had the 100-year flood here mm-hmm. in Michigan when a lot of homes in Berkeley and Royal Oak and Warren and all along that 696 corridor uh, east and west flooded, basements right. flooded um, because – well, one could say the pumps failed, but let's be honest. There was a ton of <laughs> water that came right. down. That was that was part yeah. of it. But um, if you're a home in that area – Maybe it's worth it to think about yeah. carrying flood insurance, mm-hmm. and it's, it's certainly because it's it's not in the high risk area. It, I, I don't know that it would be cost prohibitive, but first you have to find out if your community is participating right. in FEMA program, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. So that that's exactly what what FEMA does is. Uh, you know, as as many folks know, FEMA administers the flood insurance program. Um, but uh, the first thing that they ask is that a, a community uh, become a participating community. And most of them are, uh, but it's not a requirement. Um, but uh, if your community participates and the community is, is agreeing to certain standards about building codes and flood management, what have you, in exchange for that, uh, FEMA says, okay, flood insurance is available to the homeowners here in this, in this locale. And um, – uh, before the show, John, you were talking about um, uh, you know folks obtaining flood insurance that where it's not required, and and holy cow, what an important conversation to have with your insurance agent um, because I'd hasten to guess that that area that you were talking about, I think the majority of those homes were not in a flood zone that required flood insurance, but they got hit. And uh, the nice thing is is that if you're not in a, in a zone that requires flood insurance. Uh, and you have that conversation with your agent, it's probably not all that expensive because you're not in the zone. And uh, so it's a worthwhile conversation, I think, to have with an insurance agent. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. As our uh, as our expert, uh, insurance expert, uh, Christine, talked about, uh, she talked mm-hmm. about um, having that that type of policy, even if you're not in a high-risk area. And one of the things that I, that I read that I thought was extremely interesting was that 20% 
of all flood insurance claims, that's one in five, mm-hmm. come from low to moderate flood areas. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. Yeah. It, like I said, it's not what we expect when we when we have that picture of flood insurance in our mind and, and, uh, and uh, who it affects. Uh, you know, I had a couple of interesting stats, too. You know, 90% of all the natural disasters in the United States involve some degree of flooding. Uh, and then conversely, there's only 12% of the homeowners nationwide that are carrying flood insurance right now. So, so you know, the statistics don't bear out, you know, are, do the right people have the flood insurance? And the answer is probably not. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that, uh, that I think sometimes people count on is an area being declared a, a national disaster area <laughs> and then in comes the government aid. Um, and uh, and sometimes that just doesn't happen. They right. just don't declare it a federal disaster area. And if your house flooded and is destroyed by that, mm-hmm. and the government doesn't declare that, you're SOL. You're out. Yeah. You're out. Mm-hmm. Your total investment is gone. Yeah. 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 It's a problem, and it's a real gamble. And uh, you know, and I, I think it's safe to say that for folks that received aid after their home was declared in the national disaster area, uh, it's, it's probably safe to say that it, there wasn't a declaration on a Monday and then the check started coming in on a Tuesday. It was probably a grueling, lengthy, painful wait with a lot of paperwork. Uh, you know, Folks need to be considering flood insurance if they want to hedge themselves against this sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, had, a, uh, I had a client about a year ago who was buying a home that backs up to the Clinton River. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the property is, well, you did the loan. You okay. did the loan for <laughs> uh-huh. uh, So the home sits probably 200 feet uh-huh. a- at least from it. And uh, so an elevation survey was required mm-hmm. just to find out, you know, the whole topography of the land. And that was a, that was a $700 conversation. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that, um, that I think most folks aren't aware of mm-hmm. when they're when they're buying a home that sits near or around a, a, a river, mm-hmm. a creek, um, they don't think about that. No. Mm-hmm. You're, you're right. And, you know, you think about a situation like that and, uh, you know, the two conclusions are sometimes drawn. Number one, I have this wonderful view of the river. Uh, it's right in my backyard, number one. And number two, I'm high up so I don't have to worry about that river flooding and get in my home. You know, that, that's not the only dynamic at work. You know, one of the things that the, that the scientists will talk about is, is the, is sheeting or basically it's the water getting to that river that, that's, that's down at the bottom of that hill. And if your home is in that path, like many of those are, yeah, you know, that's why you're in the flood zone. You know, it's not necessarily because of the river water rising, although that can be a risk. It's the other water that's on its way to the river to where if there's enough of it can inundate a home and knock it off its foundation and do a great deal of damage. I was uh, I was reading an article and they were talking about um, they were talking about a town in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. The name escapes me, but they described it as basically land that's as flat as a pancake, mm-hmm. and the uh, occurrence of rainwater before it can drain away, pooling and puddling, mm-hmm. and and basically rising to a point where it floods a home and and it's pretty common in those areas. And I immediately thought, oh my God, it sounds like Macomb County. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, what does Macomb County have a lot of? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Clay soil. Sure. Oh, good point. And clay soil takes a lot longer for water to eventually evaporate or, or move out. So, I mean, 
when you think about the type of soil underneath the ground and the houses, um, all that kind of – you add that all together and you think – Maybe it's not a bad idea right. to consider having that. Yeah, yeah, it's so darn complicated. There's a there's a lot of science at work, and and I think the important takeaway for homeowners is it's not a yes and no black and white conversation of hey I'm I have a home on the lake therefore I need it or I have a home that's sitting in a subdivision in Macomb County so I don't need it. it, it it's there's more to it than that by a long shot. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I found interesting, Tony, was. Well, and and NAR, uh, National Association of Realtors, mm-hmm. uh, they're always in favor of disclosure mm-hmm. of uh, sellers disclosing things to buyers instead of just buyer beware, buyer do your own research. Um, you know, and I think as a realtor too, you want as much information out there as possible sure. for a buyer to make an informed decision, mm-hmm. um, but. What I found interesting was that there are almost two dozen states out there that don't require disclosure of water penetration into a home. Holy cow. I thought that was universal. No. You would have to disclose that. I, I, I was absolutely surprised about that as well, that that is not a requirement. Um, or if a home is located in a floodplain. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it requires flood insurance. Mm-hmm. On our state disclosure in Michigan, that is a requirement. As a okay. seller, you do have to – indicate if the home has had any evidence of water and if you have flood insurance on the property. Yeah. Now of course, how you get around that if you're an all if you're an all cash owner and you don't have a loan on it mm-hmm. and therefore you're not required to have flood insurance, well maybe you're not carrying it for that reason because it's less expensive for you. Right. So on that form when you are asked that question, does your home require flood insurance? No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. own on a loan. Yeah. Only to a, yeah. a buyer who goes for a loan finds out, you know, two thirds of the way into the process, I got to have flood insurance. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in de- in defense of some sellers in that situation, um, if they if their home is free and clear and they're in a flood zone, they they truly may not know. And so, seller's disclosure is what it's stuff to the best of the seller's knowledge. And if they don't know, it's not going to be out there. And uh, and then, you know, hopefully, I guess, hopefully, the next buyer is going to be obtaining a mortgage, and so that research is done um, because uh, you know you don't want you don't want the worst case scenario to happen, right? You know, you didn't know you needed it, so you don't get it. Conversation doesn't come up, and then boom, twenty fourteen again, and we have those those big floods. Yeah. These these recent rainstorms that we've been having. <laughs> I mean, the intensity of the rain that comes down in such a short amount of time mm-hmm. is, I mean, it's pretty frightening yeah. for how much water it dumps in such a short amount of time. Yeah. I mean, I've seen pooling of water in backyards. Um, geez, almost things deep enough that you'd have ducks. Or Canadian geese floating in. <laughs> yeah. I haven't washed my car in a month because the forecast keeps saying the next day is going to be rain. And I was like, well, what's the point? But, you know, Johnny, you bring up an interesting point uh, as it relates to our topic today. Uh, one of the one of the unique things about flood insurance uh, is that there's, there is a 30-day wait period. 
So Yeah, that's important to know. Yeah, Glad you brought so that up. What a person can't do is listen to their weatherman and say, you know, I've been kicking around <laughs> flood insurance. This weekend looks like we're going to get a ton of rain. I'm going to go see my insurance guy. Won't work. <laughs> you know, you got to. Here comes yeah. this major storm system across the United States. Looks like Michigan's right in the center of it. I better call my insurance agent and, exactly. and get flood insurance. Yeah, yeah. You can't get homeowner's insurance when the house is on fire. It's after the fact. So same, same kind of idea. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And it does come up on the mortgage side, and, and that's usually where folks uh, do find out because as lenders, we're required to obtain that certification to find out if the home is in the flood zone. Most building departments can and should be able to identify that as well um, if, uh, if, you, if you reach out to them. Uh, just as a matter of practice uh, at Ross Mortgage, you know, we're going we're gonna to pull that certification uh, the same day the application goes live. So from a regulatory standpoint, lenders have to give uh, folks notice at least 10 days prior to a closing whether or not they're in a flood zone and therefore require, require flood insurance. Um, it, our folks uh, that apply, they're, they're going to know within a day or two after applying that they're in a flood zone or not. So from a lender's perspective, do you think making more information available to the public, to a potential buyer, would be helpful? Or do you think that making that information available, especially now, mm -hmm. let, let's let's just create an example. I'm a seller. I'm selling a home where I live. Uh, I, I was not required to have uh, a flood insurance mm -hmm. and, um, and I've lived there for 20 years, never had a problem. And a law gets passed that says, hey, by the way, now all FEMA's information based on flood history over the previous X number of years is now available yeah. for any buyer to go to this website and find it or any lender to go to this website and find it uh, based on address. Yeah. So seller's been living there for 20 years, no problems, and wasn't aware of any issues. Um and the clue reports that our expert, Christine, from the insurance company talked about only goes back five years. Right. Any claims beyond that, you're not going to know about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this database is now available. They go back and find out this home was in repeated floods for a period of five years, 30 years ago, before mm -hmm. this current owner has uh, took possession. And now, I mean, if you're a buyer, do you roll the dice? Right. And, and so, I mean, here's there's the competing argument, right? I mean, yeah. seller's detriment mm -hmm. to value and buyer's, obviously, right to know, mm -hmm. history yeah. of property. Yeah. I'm torn, John, to be honest with you, both as a consumer and as a mortgage professional. On one hand, uh, part of me says, you know, hey, not only is this potentially relevant information, but this is information that uh, is based on claims that have been paid out with taxpayer money, right? I mean, that's kind of what FEMA is all about. Um, so there should be some degree of a right to know. On the other hand, isn't there always the, the challenge of context? You know, um, it, what was all the circumstance that existed 25 years ago when that flood happened? The levee uh, broke, right? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So because, you know, look what look what FEMA does. They update their maps periodically because things change. You know, if if you're not in a flood zone on a given day and then a developer comes in and they put in a huge mall and, and they're, they're making parking lots and exit ramps and things like that and they're changing the topography of the land and FEMA says, you know what, things have changed. You're, you're kind of in the path of danger right now. You are now in a flood zone. Um, you know, FEMA does that for a reason. 
if, if you take the scenario that you're talking about, if, if a person looks back into history on, on old claims and said, I'm at risk because of this claim from 20 years ago, I would be fearful that they wouldn't have all the context um, and might be making a decision for the wrong reason. I don't know if that's a good enough reason to suppress the information, but uh, like anything, I, I think if the consumer can be properly educated to take it for what it's worth, um, I, I guess that's the thing. I'm, I'm really on the fence with that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but I will tell you that uh, that that NAR is uh, of the belief, and I think most of us as realtors are the, of the belief that um, – the more information you can provide to a consumer to make an informed decision, the better. I don't disagree with that. I mean, my goodness, it, it's it's a litigious society. It's been one for a long time. If there's a problem and somebody finds out that there is a relevant event from many, many years ago that wasn't disclosed, here come the attorneys, you know. So uh, I, I guess uh, I guess my argument about contacts is just a, uh, a proper education of the consumer and making sure that they're looking at facts in the right light to the extent that we could help make that happen. Right. And uh, so so currently, what do, what do buyers have at their fingertips mm-hmm. to find out or to, I guess, do as thorough an investigation as possible mm-hmm. uh, uh, on a home to see if it is, in fact, in an area that frequently floods or is, is prone to flood yeah. due to certain circumstances? So, I mean – Beyond looking at flood maps, beyond looking at property records um, and home inspection, mm-hmm. that's kind of the extent yeah. you got currently to find out. Right, um, John. Go back to your example in in uh, 2014. People could have done all that research, purchased a home in Claus, and would have found nothing. They would have found nothing. Right to to not purchase that home. And then boom, they're 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 floating. <laughs> you know? Well, let's let, let's talk about an example that you and I were talking about uh, in regards to um, areas that flood repeatedly, mm-hmm. um, and the homeowners get reimbursed from FEMA, and they go in and they rebuild on the exact spot, build the same exact kind of house without any modifications or design changes. In in order to accommodate the fact that that area is prone to flood, right. it, it amazes me that that stuff like that isn't legislated and required uh, in order to allow uh, homes to be built again on that same spot. Yeah. You would think that stuff like that would change, um, yeah. you know, materials used, the height off the ground to accommodate uh, waters coming in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you and I were talking about Key West. I mean, Key West is an example <laughs> of an area where if, you, if you've ever been to Key West, those homes are not ground level. Right. You've got to walk up 10 to 15 stairs to get to the house level. Mm-hmm. So they're all, well, I can't say all, but a lot of them are built to withstand the, the hurricane flooding that happens every year on Key West. Sure. Sure. Um, and uh, in let's talk about your example in in uh, North Carolina. Well, yeah. So so you have situations on barrier islands where uh, there's a great deal of erosion. There's there's heavy duty wave action, uh, and the, and in certain areas the coast is just lined with homes, uh, very 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 expensive homes to boot. And you know the problem was is that you know a, a home is destroyed and it's rebuilt on the back of FEMA and taxpayer money, and then it happens again and again. And at some point in time, 
when does somebody say, All right, "Wait a minute here, this, this enough is, is a enough. poor decision"? Yeah. Now, now the the the, the property rights folks are going to say, "Hey, this is their parcel; they should be able to do what they want." And there's some truth to that. The problem is, is that the the rebuild money isn't coming from that homeowner's pocket; it's coming from the the subsidized insurance program. Something's going to have to change with with what you're talking about, John, because. Uh, FEMA is on a path to becoming insolvent uh, with the way it's Well, yeah. And uh, insurance is – flood insurance will get so cost prohibitive yeah. that it may just disappear and, and it's – you buy a home in an area where it's, where it's prone to flooding, mm-hmm. you're on your own. Yeah, and John, boy, think about the impact of property value. Uh, you know, one of the big things that supports value is the ability to buy it and sell it and finance it. Well, if suddenly it can't be financed anymore because that flood insurance is not available, it can only be bought with cash. Right? That Boy, does that change the value? Limits, yeah. both per- perception, unav- unavailable financing, the whole nine yards. So, um, you know, it, it's a, it, it's really something that a consumer needs to do a deep dive on. Um, you know, probably for any property, but certainly properties that are prone to any sort of inundation from water, for sure. Yeah, we're, I think we're looked at as the bad guys often as the lender because we're the ones that often require it. Um, but uh, it's 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 a joint benefit, you know. The insurance yeah. protects the lender, but it certainly You're taking a the risk as a too. lender. Sure. So I mean, you, you've got to you've got to judge how much risk you're willing to handle and take on as a lender. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's face it. If if somebody owns a home and uh, they do have a catastrophic flood and they don't have flood insurance, uh, they don't have a whole lot of incentive to keep making those house payments. You know, they're, they're, what they bought is now worthless in many cases. And so hence the insurance. There's got to be some sort of safety net in there. Yeah, yeah. I um. I- I, I, I guess I still come – I know you're on the fence on this, but I still come down on the more information for the home, for a potential buyer, the better. Um, somebody made an analogy. It's not my own, but I think it's certainly appropriate. How the hell can you get flood insurance through Carfax to, to find out whether a, a car that you're going to purchase was in a flood in an area and is being resold, but you can't find out about a house? <laughs> well, that's a fair point, isn't it? I, yeah. I thought it was a very fair yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, one of the things that you, you and I were talking about earlier is that um, if a home is continually in a flood, mm-hmm. that at some point you exhaust your eligibility for FEMA yeah, coverage. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's appropriate, I think. You know, I mean, it, it's just – you know, there, there, there can only be so much, uh, reaching into the, into the government, uh, 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 war chest, uh, to rebuild properties that are clearly in the, in the path of, of danger. And, uh, so, uh, sh- should there be such a program? Absolutely there should be, but it, it needs to be kind of coupled with some good comprehensive decision making about where to build, how to build, and, uh, when to, when to, uh, let's face it, these kind of areas are dynamic. They don't stay the same. And so when you reach that point where, where the decision has to be made, we can't do this again. Can't build on this parcel. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I can't help but see the parallels between FEMA and uh, and earthquake insurance, flood insurance, mm-hmm. and earthquake insurance. Yeah. Uh, you know, after the '94 Northridge earthquake, insurance, earthquake insurance was impossible to mm-hmm. find. It was so yeah. cost prohibitive. So the government had to step in and offer it. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the cost was so high that most homeowners just said, I "Can't afford it. Yeah. Not going to buy it." 
And so here we are 25 years later after the Northridge quake. And I'd say the percentage that have earthquake insurance is, is minimal. Wow. Um, with, you know, and, and there's going to be another earthquake. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but what's interesting is that a lot of the building standards mm-hmm. changed. Okay. Certain things had to change with, with, with regards to construction. Up until the 94 earthquake, mm-hmm. did you know that it, most homes out in California particularly are built on slabs or on crawl? Okay. And so if they're, they're sitting above the ground, it was not a requirement up until that point for a home to be bolted to the foundation. It just sat on <laughs> No it. way. <laughs> so when you had the earthquake happen, you had a lot of homes that fell off their foundation, uh, fell off their supports because they weren't attached. Wow. Well, that changed, right? And so um, as people were buying those homes, they were requiring sellers to uh, attach those to the foundation, secure those to the foundation. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that changed that I thought was interesting about earthquake insurance at that time was up until that point, when they built when they constructed homes, mm-hmm. um, they were only required to construct homes to support them shifting side to side or front to back. Okay. They weren't required to uh, build homes to be able to withstand shifting, turning, shifting, turning, uh, okay. almost like you know turning, turning sideways, turning back, turning sideways, turning back. Yeah. So what happened when a lot of these homes in the North Northridge earthquake and apartment buildings too experienced that they collapsed. So okay, yeah. they changed the the standards and buildings out there so that they could withstand turning side to side, front, back, sideways, mm-hmm. sideways. Uh, and and so they changed the building standards to withstand that. So it's interesting how um, some things change, but yet I don't know enough about what other states that are in uh, flood zones mm-hmm. um, are requiring of – uh, builders when they're constructing these homes, right, right. if they're requiring them sit above grade by a certain number of feet, if they're requiring uh, the use of certain types of materials yeah. uh, so that the home doesn't just uh, get destroyed sure. in, by the water. So um, interesting, mm-hmm. just, the, just the comparison between the two and how you're right. Uh, I mean, FEMA will become insolvent if yeah. if they continue down this path. And so one of the things that somebody suggested, which I thought was interesting, is Maybe FEMA should take a proactive um, approach mm-hmm. to determining uh, floodplains and incorporate the rise of sea levels, lake levels, river levels in determining uh, the areas that are high risk right. and low to moderate risk becomes a larger area. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I suppose that's one approach to perhaps saving it from insolvency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think uh like a lot of government government agencies, you know, a big problem is 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 staffing and budget, right? And and real estate sprawl happens at a pace that is probably sometimes uh quicker than what FEMA can keep up with and so you end up with outdated information or outdated standards and so on. And uh it wouldn't surprise me to find out that the that the standards that FEMA sets forth to a community say, "Hey, here's what you have to do." Uh, to be a participating community are not necessarily up to up to current engineering knowledge of how how things should be done. Right. So it's a um, you know it, it's a bit of a horse race where where uh, you know the, the 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 ability of the insurance and and the engineering behind it may not even be current with where we're at right now. So it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Just a uh, one of couple things I found interesting. Some of the things that aren't covered mm-hmm. in flood insurance. Um, 
<laughs> swimming pools and landscaping, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, basement improvements. That was okay. a shocker to me. Yeah. I didn't know that. That yeah. if you if you uh, spend seventy grand in your basement, making a man cave down there, and having a wet bar and mm-hmm. a wine cellar and all this other stuff, and a flood comes in and trashes it, yeah, you're sol <laughs> in FEMA's mind. I don't think that's inappropriate, you know, myself, you know, I mean, that's basically FEMA saying, hey, you know, we gave you a heads up, you're in a flood zone where there's risk, and you're going to do below grade improvements like that, you know, sorry, not on our dime. <laughs> that, that's just my take on it. Yeah, yeah, I, I just I found that interesting, some of their, uh, some of the things that they don't cover. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was, that was yeah. pretty interesting. Um I guess we got to go. We're oh, we're gosh, we're right up yeah. against it, and I know we there was more stuff that we wanted to cover, but uh, oh well. Yeah, we'll catch you on another episode. We'll, we'll catch you on another episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's lots we can talk about as far as you know. What's it mean when you get a flood cert and it's got certain indications on it, and and uh, what do you do to dispute it, etc. So we'll uh, we'll leave that as a teaser, and we'll catch it next time. So. Hey, thanks for listening to Avoiding Real Estate Turbulence. If you'd be so kind as to subscribe, review, rate, we would appreciate it. Please share with your fa- friends, family, and coworkers that they too can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.